Hi, I'm Bob Bashansky. Welcome to the latest edition of Politics, a Love Story. Joe Biden was sworn in as president 100 days ago as of yesterday. There may be a gazillion things for Phil and I to talk about, but we will only get to 10 or so. Yes, today is the fifth Friday of April, and that means that the Bob and Phil show is on right now. Phil, of course, being Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College in Ukiah. In this hundred days, Republicans have hurled a lot of brickbats at President Biden and missed. He is so different from the previous guy, the Texas Senator John Cronin uh, whined about Biden not tweeting enough. Imagine that. A president who actually works at being president instead of playing at being one. Well, enough of that. Let's get to it. Good morning, Phil. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Thanks for having me, Bob. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Um, let me see. Okay. So the biggest news this week was Biden's State of the Union uh, speech to a thinned out Congress. Why don't you let us know what you thought about it and what the polls said? Well, I thought it was um, uh, kind of strange the way it looked with uh, the, the, um, the social distancing there. But um, I thought it was, uh, well, of course, the thing you noticed immediately was when Biden was uh, preparing to give a speech and he comes up to the podium and you see um, two women behind him, right, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Kamala Harris. And, you know, obviously the first time that's happened. So that was really, uh, really a neat thing and really a great thing. So I was uh, happy to see that. You know, his uh, speech was pretty well received. Um, CNN was reporting that um, 85% of people who, uh, 85%, all right, of people who watched it thought it was a good speech and approved of the address. Now, now of course, um, it's unlikely that a lot of people on the far right would be watching it necessarily, um, but that's still a pretty amazing, um, you know, percentage. So. I think Biden, his proposals are really popular, and uh, he's given us a real dose of sort of blue-collar, left-wing, you know, kind of, uh, you know, uh, economic populism. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's uh, it fits right now, given where we are, and, um, you know, very different from Trump's, you know, kind of, you know, grievance politics. So, um, you know, I think um, Biden is, um, you know, he's off on the right foot. I think, you know, his his overall approval ratings are just slightly above 50% uh, job approval, um, which, of course, is better than Trump ever ever was able to get, but still historically not particularly great, you know, in the first 100 days. Uh, but given the, you know, sort of partisan makeup of the country right now, that that's not too bad. Um, so, you know, generally I thought it was a good speech. Um, you know, he's going to have a tough time getting uh, the stuff through Congress, of course, but um, but I was uh, I, I was pretty impressed. I, I I have I've been concerned about um, you know President Biden a little bit in terms of his you know ability to connect with people um, you know through his uh, speaking speech, but uh, I think he did a pretty good job the other night, and you can see it by the by the polling data. And um, he offered a lot of new programs, um, but with a uh, a Senate divided, <clears throat> excuse me, the way it is, um, what do you think the chances are of getting any or all of it passed? Well, I mean, it's going to be um, it's going to be difficult, of course. I mean, you have the the um, Senate that's fifty fifty, and um, still the filibuster, and uh, this is still in play, and so Republicans will be able to pretty much stop anything that they'd like to stop. Um, but um, you know, will they? Will there be some compromise? Will there be some meeting in the middle? This kind of thing. Um, you know, Republicans did 
sort of propose an alternative with the recent uh, stimulus, uh, the American Rescue Plan, but, um, you know, how much they're going to play ball in these other things. You would think that the Republicans would be very much in favor of some infrastructure plans, which is one of Biden's big proposals, new proposals, because that was something that uh, Trump promised in 2016, and the Republicans were all behind, but uh, somehow that never happened. But this is their opportunity to get uh, on board with that. But, you know, I think uh, it's going to be real tough to get anything through through the Senate. And uh, so, particularly with the filibuster still um, in effect, and so I don't, I don't uh, have a whole lot of confidence in um, some of what uh, Biden getting everything that he wants, of course, but um, I'm not even certain the Republicans will play ball on these, even though infrastructure is one of the things that they really prioritized in the, you know, when Trump was running, but never did anything about. So I mean, this would be their chance to, we'll find out how serious they are about it. Uh, they haven't, it, the, what's happened so far suggest that they're not particularly serious about it. Uh, but it's going to be tough for Biden, for sure. Well, uh, and how tough do you think it really might be? Because he just passed a $1.9 trillion COVID bill. Uh, are, the, are the Republicans smart enough to explain to their constituents why they voted no on that? That's benefiting all their constituents? Well, I mean, um, I, you know... I, they don't really have to. <laughs> Bob is the thing, is that you know they are able to. Um, you know they voted a hundred percent against that uh, against the the one point nine trillion stimulus uh, in two in two thousand nine. They did the same thing with the American um, uh, with, with ARA, the Reinvestment and Recovery Act in two thousand nine, which was Obama's stimulus plan. One hundred percent. Well, actually, three three senators voted uh, for it. Um, so. You know, this is their strategy, and, you know, McConnell said this a few years ago, or when Obama was president, our goal is to make sure that Obama gets nothing done and is a one-term president, and I think they're back to that now. Uh, and they know they're in a tough spot in the Senate, even though they, you know, they're they're sort of prevailing on the filibuster at, at the moment. But, um, you know, look, these guys are all in, in pretty safe districts, the ones who uh, are, you know, the... Um, you know, McConnell's uh, proposal is not going to really um, hurt Republicans because, you know, these guys are in pretty safe districts. The senators are as well, the people who, you know, sort of voted for the, the uh, against his certification, this kind of thing. Um, you know, and but the other thing that will happen <laughs> to Bob is that this is what they did in 2009, is the Republicans will say they'll go around their districts and they'll hold up the big checks, you know, the, and have the press conference or, or the, you know, yeah, the, the press release, and they'll say, oh, they brought this money to their district. This is already happening. Uh, this, you know, they did this um, Think Progress counted 140-plus times that this happened in 2009. Um, and so... You know, I don't. You know what they they took the house in two thousand or the house and senate in two thousand ten. So um, I really don't see how this is. Uh, you know, when they did the same thing. So I, I don't see how this hurts the Republicans at all because you know there's just so much partisanship and there's really not much that's competitive in terms of um, you know Senate or House seats in the U.S. Well, I think anymore. Nancy's retort to what you just stated about what the Republicans did in 2009 shows that 2021 is not 2009. She said they voted no, but they took the dough. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. That was pretty uh, clever uh, from Pelosi. But, but, yeah, I mean, this is a way for them to say, 
you know, we voted against those big spending liberals. Look at that big, you know, two billion dollar or trillion dollar tri- price tag, one point nine trillion, and we're standing up to vote against this reckless, you know, deficit spending, and so they can vote no, but then at the same time take all these advantages, um, which has, you know, been happening. And if you say, well, that's not right, you shouldn't do that. You voted against it. Well, they'll say, um, well. Uh, I didn't. I didn't like all the bill, um, and I voted against it. But I really like this part of the bill. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't. I don't think it, it hurts them at all um, to, to you know to use this strategy, as long as we're in sort of the condition that we're in nationwide in terms of partisanship and the fact that their seats are really not in any kind of danger uh, going forward because of redistricting and so forth. So I, I don't see them paying a price. Well, we now have a Senate, as you pointed out, that's divided 50-50 with Vice President Harris casting a deciding vote in case of a tie. We should note that the 50 Democratic seats represent 41 million more people than do the 50 Republican seats. Will stuff get done with a 50-50 Senate? Under reconciliation, I believe that it will. And they... uh, the Democrats got a ruling from the parliamentarian that said that they can do two more bills under reconciliation. So if the Republicans want to be as obstinate as they have been and continue to be, uh, I think that the Democrats, and it depends upon, uh, uh, in part, on Bill, uh, I'm sorry, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, senator from West Virginia, and Kirsten Cinema, uh, uh, senator from Arizona, who are against changing the filibuster in any way. So with the filibuster in place and all this agitation all over, A, will it stay as it is? B, will it be modified? Or C, be discarded? What will Mansion and Cinema do? Do you think? Well, um, well, I don't know, but but we'll find out. I mean, I think um, the, you know, going back to the reconciliation uh, process, which you mentioned, um, this is the way to get it through this, get legislation through the Senate without having the, to worry about the filibuster. Just take the simple majority to move it along. Um, but the problem with the reconciliation, and it certainly, I believe, I'm not the Senate parliamentarian, of course, but um, they do get three reconciliation bills a year in the Senate. And, um, you know, they can, uh, the senators can push through the Democratic um, majority with uh, Harris. They can push through things through the, through the Senate, through the reconciliation process, but it can't do things like uh, voting rights and gun control and, you know, um, uh, you know, climate change and racial equality and all those things. I mean, it has to be a spending or budget bill or something like that, and we've already seen that. Uh, in one of these instances, the parliamentarians ruled against them. So uh, I think that reconciliation is a, you know, a way to get it done, but, you know, it's not going to get the Democrats what they want on, on every issue. So it does come down to Manchin and, and Cinema. Uh, in you know, Mansion of West Virginia, and these uh, and two senators, uh, uh, Mansion from West Virginia and Cinema from um, Arizona, and you know, uh, I I think um, they believe that, and you know, this is what the founders believed to some degree is that the small states needed equal representation in some house. That was the compromise, some chamber. Uh, that was the compromise between you know the big states and the small states. And so Mansion and Cinema are really saying this is that. Um, the only way we're going to be able to protect our interests is by not letting the big states run over us and so forth. Um, I think that you know, Manchin also says that 
you know, as as the filibuster has been pared back, remember under the Democrats, um, they had to, or they felt like they had to eliminate it um, on judicial nominees because the Republicans were basically blocking every one of Obama's nominees. Um, and, and, so, and executive branch nominees as well. Yeah, that's right. And and so, you know, with um, uh, Manchin says, okay, that happened, and then now, we're t- now the Republicans went further and said, well, we're not going to allow filibuster on uh, on Supreme Court nominees. And so his argument is that uh, as pieces of the filibuster, or as the filibuster has been weakened, it's actually created, um, you know, more partisanship. Uh, and, um, you know, so if we don't do that, if we keep the filibuster, things will be better. I mean, I think it, that's kind of silly thinking, right? Uh, and, you know, Cinema says, well, the way to do it is we just have to, senators just have to change their behavior and work together, and the so filibuster will make that happen. I think both of these things are, <laughs> it's hard to believe, but I think they're naive for sit, sitting senators to, to believe this, that bipartisanship will come back if only we keep the filibuster, or that senators will all of a sudden uh, be willing to compromise and meet in the middle. And I just think this is, uh, I don't think, <laughs> I don't know, it's hard to imagine they've been really paying attention to the Republican strategy in Congress um, unless they just want to be, you know, important. But I think they have some rationales. I just think they're fairly weak. There have been over uh, 350 bills in state houses. That's in 43 to 47 state houses around the country that are limiting the rights of voters to actually vote. Uh, there is one other thing that can be done with the filibuster. They could modify it for passing voting rights bills like H.R. 1 uh, and the John Lewis bill. Uh, that's a possibility. It's, a, it's a, a harder possibility, but it is a possibility. And leave it intact for all kinds of other uh, legislation that might be passed. Um, but if Manchin and Cinema see what Republicans around the country are trying to do uh, they are no longer the party of patriotism, which is the way they used to be described. They seem to be now uh, the party of liars, grifters, and thieves, and are certainly anti-democratic in what they're trying to accomplish. If they don't have any good ideas, then the way to win is not to let the other guy vote. Uh, well, I mean, that's uh, part of the, certainly critics would say that. If you look at uh, voting restrictions that have just been passed in Georgia and uh, yesterday, I think, in Florida, some similar uh, things about, um, you know, early voting and mail voting and, ballot bo- uh, you know, voting boxes and lines and all this kind of thing. Uh, and so I think clearly there's an effort by Republicans who see that the see the change, uh, the demographic change that's happening in, in the United States. They see that um, they're losing some support among suburban voters uh, because of their sort of radicalism, and that one of their strategies and maybe their best strategy is to make it harder for people to vote. I mean, there is some evidence that suggests that this is not a very successful strategy. But all as close as elections are in the U.S. In some instances, you just need something on the margin. So, um, this is a you know this this is an important issue, obviously, and um, I don't 
uh, you know, sure, you can eliminate the filibuster for certain kinds of uh, bills and that sort of thing, and this this could work. Um, you know, I don't think you'd find support among the you know mansion and cinema because they just don't. Um, they like to keep the filibuster altogether. So, is that a strategy Democrats can do? Perhaps, um, but you still need to get these these two on board, and uh, you still you know, and Chris Coons of Delaware is also sort of um, you know not uh, uh, sort of somewhat. Somewhat siding with them, you know, a little bit, right? Uh, and so I think that there are some problems in terms of getting, uh, you know, that filibuster dealt with. But, um, you know, the voting rights issue is a huge issue, and I think that, um, you know, it would be great if the, all these um, voting rights protections that the House uh, wants could be, uh, and I believe it's passed again, uh, should push through the Senate, and that's going to be uh, impossible without eliminating the ability of just one senator to basically stop everything. I mean, I think Biden is right. The filibuster is kind of a relic of the Jim Crow era, which is designed to stop um, equal rights legislation, and that's really kind of, we're kind of back to full circle a little bit on there, uh, on that, and so that's pretty disturbing. Well, wasn't Warnock, the senator from Georgia, the one who said that the current spate of bills around the country is Jim Crow dressed up in a suit and tie? <laughs> I didn't hear that, but but yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, an argument that's being made, and I think it's um, you know a pretty pretty strong argument because we know that that is you know where the power of the filibuster you know really really was exercised. We remember right Strom Thurmond on the Senate floor and uh, trying to hold the floor. You know, for hours and hours and days, if he if he could, uh, but you know they don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to get up there and speak until they, you know, until they've made their point and and they just can't can't do it anymore. Now they just have to file something with the Senate clerk, and boy, that makes it really easy to do the filibuster. So that's also part of the problem. Maybe if they went back to making it a real challenge to really carry out the filibuster, then it would be different, but there doesn't seem to be any uh, interest in that either. Okay, let's move on to another topic. Uh, this week, this past week, uh, the new census was presented to us all, uh, the, the census of 2020. Uh, do you think it was good, bad, or neither? Well, it depends on obviously who, whose perspective you're adopting, uh, but I think there are some interesting results. Uh, one is the slowest population growth since 1930, and you know maybe that's true, um, but you know, and but maybe it's not. I mean, this was really uh, pushed through at the end. Um, it was believed the Census Bureau and I think Congress also wanted to extend this uh, the time frame further, but uh, Trump and the administration did not want to do that, and so it was shut down fairly quickly at the end and the idea i you know the idea of critic, critics would say is that it would make it because it's harder to get certain kinds of populations who mostly vote democratic to fill out the census that this would make it tougher for democrats but it turns out that republicans really didn't get the kind of movement that they expected in terms of the shifting of uh, congressional districts and this sort of thing so yeah i'm kind of i kind of looked at the the things that uh, changed and i'm figuring you know kind of a net of maybe five seats, which, you know, uh, could, um, you know, given how close the House is, is really important. But I think that Republicans were expecting to win, you know, many more seats than that. And I don't know if the, they shot themselves in the foot or, you know, we're just seeing, uh, you know, we're just seeing the, the census reporting things that we didn't expect to happen. Um, so the problem with the, you know, for Democrats is that, yeah, you get this, uh, this movement from, you know, in California's losing a 
elect or you know a member of Congress and thus electoral college vote also. But you know the big problem for Democrats uh, is that thirty states have all Republican legislatures, and they're going to be able to redraw these new district boundaries. And we know that um, they draw these district boundaries, particularly Republicans, to make sure that um, they they have a clear edge in, uh, you know, most congressional districts. I mean, um, just real quickly, like in North Carolina, for example, they only got about 50 percent of the vote in recent congressional elections, but they have 75 percent of the seats in Congress. And I think we're going to see that same kind of thing happen in, in most states. Um, and Texas has got two more, and that's going to help um, conservatives in the, or at least in the immediate future, uh, in both the House and and uh, also in the Electoral College. So uh, we'll see. I think it was a better picture than Democrats had expected and uh, not as great as Republicans had expected, and who knows exactly why that's happened right now. We'll see once we get more uh, audit. Or, audit is not a great word, but once we get more uh, closer look at it from the Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce and so forth. So let me reintroduce you, Phil. You're listening to Politics, a Love Story. My guest today is Phil Worf, political science professor at Mendocino College in uh, Ukiah. And we're talking about what's going on today, the current events, rather than uh, a, a book being intervie- interviewing the author about something that might have been researched for five years and then taking two years to, to write. So we're talking about stuff going on. Now, the next item is what is taking so long to get a bipartisan January 6th investigative committee together to look at what happened and who among the GOP might have helped it happen. What do you think's going on here, Phil? Well, I mean, I think um, what's happening is the Republicans don't want to have it, um, <laughs> right? They just don't want to have this um, sort of uh, closer look at, at what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, and, you know, the reasons are obvious. Um, they they like to say that, um, well, well this, first of all, you know, Pelosi started with um, the proposal of, you know, very... Uh, heavily Democratic-dominated panel. I think it's like seven of the 11 or something like that. And now she's, uh, and so, you know, and that Democrats could have, you know, um, get subpoenas on their own and all that stuff without any Republican support. Uh, But now the Republicans don't want to do that. I think that's obvious why. Um, and so now she's changed her proposal to a panel that's equal Republicans and Democrats on it. And, you know, they'd have to be agreement on, you know, issuing subpoenas to get documents and stuff. Uh, but the Republicans are, you know, I doubt that they're going to go for this either. What they want is they want to expand this commission so that it looks not just at January 6th, but also at, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests and uh, the act actions of Antifa and, you know, sort of people on the left. And, you know, so that's their that's their gambit, right? If they can't get that, then they're not going to agree to the January 6th uh, commission or commission on, on, the, on the insurrection. And um, I don't know, is it, is it going to work? Is there some, uh, you know, can they, can the Democrats get a panel put together without um, having all, all of that looked at? I mean, I think they should be able to. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I, I think that's what's behind the delay is that they just um, they don't want to look at it because it's um, it's bad for them. And, you know, no matter how many times that they say Republicans say that, you know, Antifa and so forth, those guys are really behind the Capitol riot. They know that that's not true. And that's another reason why they just don't want to take a look at it. I think they just want the public to forget about it. And I was talking to somebody just the other day who, when I brought this up, said, Eh, what's the big deal anymore? I mean, we know about it. 
No, that's what Republicans want. They want it to go out of the public view so that it'll die a quiet death. But uh, we'll see what happens going forward. Next item. 139 uh, Republican House members and eight Republican U.S. senators refused to accept Joe Biden's win as real and spread the big lie that the previous guy had the election stolen from him. Are they or will they pay a price, do you think? Well, I mean, going back to kind of what I was saying before, is there's really no or very little incentive for them to actually act in a in a responsible way. I mean, that which which I think would I mean, there's virtually no there well, there's no evidence that there was anything wrong with the vote count or the electoral college result. Um, but there's no 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 cost to these uh, particular uh, politicians to really vote against certification. You're talking about senators from you know very conservative states. Um, uh, as I've said, there's very few actually competitive congressional districts, House districts. So there's really no price to pay there. And um, you also have some people that will believe them. And and of um, what's really striking and concerning is that still even at this point. A majority of Republican um, party people who report Republican Party ID in polls still believe that Trump won the election. You know, more than fifty percent. I've seen fifty-five to sixty percent, and this is a real concern. And one reason why there does need to be the January sixth commission, and just sort of saying, "Well, that's over with." Um, that's not good enough. And uh, will will that happen? I mean, I think at some point it has to, and um, what, what that looks like, I guess, is the question, and I, I really think it would be, I mean, if you look at the 9-11 commission that followed up on 9-11, uh, the terrorist attacks in New York in, in 2001, I mean, um, they they did not include uh, sort of a broad look at terrorism as a, a issue as a whole and this kind of thing. What it looked at, anything it looked at was directly related to what happened on September 11th, and so I think that um, should be the model that's applied here. But, you know, Republicans are throwing in these uh, poison pills because <laughs> they really just don't want to take a look at it. It wasn't a partisan thing, you know, at, at 9-11, but it certainly is now. Yes, and, and those were people who were foreigners, as some people will say, who created that problem and killed over 3,000 uh, U.S. citizens. But in this case... I think they don't want us to see the fact that there may have been involvement by elected uh, members of Congress who may have assisted in one way or another. And if they get the, uh, the phone logs, the Twitter tweets, and all that other stuff, they may find all this out. And I think that there is a partisan aspect to this. Obviously, there was coordination uh, with the Capitol Police to some degree. They've already uh, let some some of the leaders go because they weren't doing their job properly. But I, I'm worried that we're going to miss a big uh, potential problem for the future if they don't investigate that now. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point, Bob, and that, that's a big part of why um, this should happen. I mean, there's, a, there's some evidence and testimony that there are members of Congress who were sort of giving tours of the Capitol to people who showed up the next day, and what was that all about? And uh, we know that um, people like Josh Hawley in the Senate and Matt Getz in the, in the House, I mean, they're you know, actively resisting the result of the election and 
uh, fomenting this sort of, uh, you know, this sort of grievance, and then Trump and all that. And so I think, uh, and how, you know, what what coordination was there with um, any, uh, you know, Trump um, allies or any um, staffers or anything like that? Was there any coordination there? It's certainly possible. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to look at. A lot that could be embarrassing for, and, and even um, criminal um, behavior could be un- uncovered. And so, yeah, that's a good point, Bob. Is uh, there's there's all that. What's going to come out of those uh, communications within Congress and, and uh, between members of Congress? And uh, I'm I'm guessing that there's some of that that they would like to not ever see the light of day. And you know, going back to 2009, uh, when the Republicans were repeating those things that may have been effective because they won a lot of seats in 2010, but, but. I think the public is a lot smarter now, and they've seen some things that they realize aren't quite right. And I'm not just talking about Democrats. I've seen reports that a couple hundred thousand Republicans have left the GOP, and it could be many more. Could a major change in the political climate be happening out of our view? Could the GOP lose big in 22? Well, I mean, um, this is... This is um you know, interesting. Could they could they lose big? Is it a different um, you know is, is a different environment? Well, I mean, I think that um, you know the the whole Trump experience has turned off um, a good number of moderate Republicans. I mean, we we see. I mean, Liz Cheney, who's the third ranking um, you know House uh, third rank third ranking Republican in the House. I mean, she's uh, sort of not on board with this uh, anymore. And um, there's there's some serious concern among many Republicans that. Um, Trump and his um, sort of radicalizing of the Republican base is a major problem, and to the extent that they lose suburban voters and um, that, or they turn off voters who decide not to turn out, um, you know this this is a big problem. But again, again, uh, Bob, the the issue that Democrats face and what happens in these House seats is they're just very few competitive ones. So it does take that kind of big shift. Are we going to see that? I don't know. I mean, I haven't really been um, looked at a lot of the data from the election super closely, but I think um, you've got sort of a middle-class, suburban-type woman voter who typically is uh, concerned about that uh, radical agenda. And, you know, as close as elections are, at least at the presidential level and perhaps at the statewide level in some places, um, you know, losing, uh, you know, two or three percentage point shift makes a huge difference. And, uh, you know, without those built-in Republican advantages, like in the Senate and the Electoral College, um, you know, they've, they've got serious trouble potentially down the line. And I don't really see anything that's emerging in the party to push it in the other direction. I mean, you got these guys like Ben Sasse, for example, and, you know, in Kansas, and he, he retired, you know, because basically he doesn't want to be part of this, and he's... Um, you know, talking about it, and you know, Liz Cheney and Sassy and these guys are being you know censured by their by the uh, you know Republican parties in the state. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think that uh, I don't think there's going to be a, a huge uh, swing to the the Democrats. And also, you know, historically speaking, when um, the president in an off year election, the party that's in power loses seats and. Um, so I, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not very optimistic, or uh, I don't believe that that's going to happen. Uh, there'll be a big, big shift. But I guess it depends on what the Republican Party decides to do, and, and members of of Congress and state delegations. You know, in terms of 
support for Trump and whether he remains the standard bearer of the party and so forth. And I think if that continues, then they, you know, the Republicans will lose a pretty decent chunk of um, those kinds of voters I mentioned before. Um, how many? Obviously, remains to be seen. Um, but I don't know, Bob. I don't. I I think um, there's a. You know, there's an argument to be made that that could happen. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. It's not super convincing to me, so I guess we'll have to find out. Well, there were two big points that we have not uh, brought into this conversation. Number one, uh, before uh, January 20th, uh, this country was in bad shape as far as the COVID virus was concerned. There were very few doses that were passed out, very few people that were getting their shots first or second. And then uh, we were in a... Uh, a financial mire. We were not going anywhere. The country was uh, contracting rather than expanding. And now we see in the polls that are uh, taken now about the hopefulness of the people. And there's that one four-letter word that is dif making a difference here. Instead of hopeless, it's hopeful. Uh, the, what the public perceives as the future now. First of all, uh, we have, what, 200 shots that were given out, 200 million shots. Uh, we have the economy that may have improved by 6.4% in the first quarter, and it's going to continue as things open up and more people go back to work. And, uh, and if uh, Biden can pass one of these bills that he mentioned on Wednesday, uh, the economy could explode without actually going into inflation. So come November 22, uh, we could see a whole different country at that point. And that may be what causes people to vote or not vote and in which direction. Well, maybe so. I mean, you're, you're right. I saw the number of the 6.4 percent, um, you know, sort of year over year first quarter growth, and it's, it's pretty, pretty massive. But you know, I think everybody expected um, things to get better. Uh, but I think um, I think they're they're getting they're getting much better. The stimulus is really helping um, both from last year, but also the the big Biden stimulus, which was you know bigger than those from last year. Um, I think that you know if he does get um, the infrastructure package, that will be so huge, not just in terms of stimulus, but in terms of the kind of jobs it will create. And um, you know, so I think there's he could mobilize a lot of support for that out there. Um, and so I think there there is hope. And if you look at Biden when he ran for office, or you know, one of the thing the thing that he believed is that if he could ad address the COVID crisis, and that was that was his charge, that was his job. And if he could do that, then things would really uh, be looking up for him and for the Democrats. And so far, I think that's been pretty successful in terms of getting doses out there, trying to get people to you know to get the shots. And uh, there's a pretty big you know, a decent proportion of the public who's gotten both shots at this point. But um, one of the things that I've heard and, and read is that, you know, the number of appointments and people who are getting it is really declining. And that's that's a concern because, you know, we have to, and I'm no, no pandemic expert, but uh, we have to get to, what, 70% of the public vaccinated to to really reach herd immunity and um, what about these you know people under 16 and there's no real testing of the the, uh, the you know the vaccine on, on those on that, that group so we don't know how that's going to pan out but if you look at the mobilization in terms of the uh, vaccines in terms of getting things out there in terms of getting you know um, 
uh, different inst- organizations like drug drug stores to administer it. I think it's been a huge success. And if you're just going to, um, if that's the most important thing to you, then Biden's already in good shape um, or looks pretty good. But um, if you look at the economic stimulus, I think we're going to see you know bigger big growth like six seven percent. The only concern I have is and. You sort of refer to this as whether you know this spending is going to potentially you know spark inflation at some point, but it's really been amazing that you know over the last decade or so there's base, there's virtually been uh, no no cost to borrowing, and so if you look at it that way, the United States running big deficits right now makes a lot of sense. Uh, just depends on what happens down the line, and I, I'm not uh, not expert enough to to predict that at this point. I guess we'll 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 see how things uh, if things start to to turn. Well, what's also interesting about Biden's speech on Wednesday was that he uh, poo pooed the idea, which uh, economists like Paul Krugman and even Douglas Holtz Eakin, uh, former Republican uh, head of the CBO under George W. Bush, have said, is that trickle-down in the economics does not work. The Laffer curve is really a laugher, L-A-U-G-H-E-R, and that Biden wants us now to grow the economy from the bottom up and the center out. Uh, because what happened with the two, 2017 tax cut that uh, uh, the previous guy had passed is that nothing happened. What was supposed to happen was the economy was supposed to explode, that uh, it was going to be trickled down. Everybody was going to be uh, helped. Uh, you know, uh, a rising economy floats all boats, but that's that's a falsity that has been perpetuated, as Paul Krugman calls it. It's a zombie idea. It's killed over and over and over again, and yet still comes back. So that's one of the reasons I think things will change in 2022. And just so you know, uh, uh, in uh, I lost four bets uh, that the previous guy would resign before January 20th and let Pence pardon him. I mean, that seemed to be the most logical thing because there were a lot of crimes that we think he may have committed. Could we have even thought that he was more corrupt and devious than we could conceive and that overturning a valid election and killing House members and senators was a path to retaining the presidency? Who could have thunk that? So I lost four bets, and I gladly paid them off uh, because we're now rid of the previous guy. But that makes you think, geez, how, how bad we had thought someone could be, and it turns out he was even a lot worse than we thought. Well, and that's right. And you know, Trump sort of took a um, he, he took a little hiatus since the since the election, but he's back. Um, you know, in the in the media now, and he's um, talking and looking at the silly uh, audit that's happening in Arizona, and he's uh, sort of getting himself back out there in terms of um, you know preparing for a run in in 2024. And the interesting thing about this, uh, you mentioned killing senators and so forth, and there was that case of the guy, um, you know, who made that, I guess, a Facebook post or something. And, um, you know, um, he, these guys are being treated a little more toughly by the judicial system because they hear Trump out there saying, you know, sort of 
sort of um, encouraging and promoting the kind of behavior that happened uh, on January 6th. And so they're saying, well, <laughs> you know, things look like it hasn't, it's not cooling down from that perspective. And so we're there, the judicial, um, you know, some of those rulings are pretty tough on these Trump supporters, tougher than they would expect it to be. Um, you know, the, but going back to um, the the uh, e- economics um, trickle down economics. Um, he's fa- uh, former President George W. or George Bush, uh, the, the 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 father. Um, he called it voodoo economics, and I think he was uh, pretty much right about that. But you know, when he was in office, he didn't subscribe to that, and he was um, not very popular among Republicans who have sort of become more radical about this over time. Uh, but if you you know if you look at Trump's and, and economic performance, it's basically a continuation of how things were going um, into uh, into 2016, and so he doesn't get a whole lot of credit for that, um, but uh, some maybe. But the, um, the you know the lowering of tax rates for you know the wealthy um, is you know classic Republican um, economic philosophy since the 1980s, and it lifts all boats. And you know the the, the data suggests that um, the, and the research suggests that that's just just not true, and so that's one of the things Biden wants to undo, which I think is probably a good idea. But, you know, these guys are wealthy. They're not going to, if they get a stimulus or lower taxes, they're not going to spend that money and create jobs and so forth. They're going to put that money into the market or put it in savings or what have you. And I think it's one reason, actually, the stimulus should have been a little um, more targeted. But, you know, this idea of a trickle-down economics has been shown to be ineffective a number of times. But uh, it's, a, it's a political philosophy as much as an economic philosophy. Uh, and And so, you know, I think that's where the Republicans are, are coming from with uh, the trickle-down approach. The other thing, too, just real quickly, Bob, is that, that um, the, the Republican tax bill that was passed, the Trump tax bill, actually increases taxes on the middle class beginning this year and every year for the next few years so that there's a, you know, basically no benefit, but those changes to people in the highest tax brackets will not, will not you know, change at all. And so this is this is cynical on a, a number of levels, but um, you know, so we're going to see. Uh, who knows how, you know, all that is going to uh, going to pan out. But if you look at the Trump economic policy and Republican economic policy, um, it's really it's uh, it's it's really been hard on you know the middle class and workers, uh, but they're really good at selling it. And I think Democrats have not been as good at, at doing that for their proposals. You mentioned the uh, uh, the Arizona uh, audit. Uh, so is it real or is it a sham? Uh, they're also trying to hide what they're doing from the public. I thought that a recount needed to be out in the open to prevent tampering. Well, I mean, I think, I think Bob, the first thing you should look at is that the name of this uh, group, the company that's doing this, is called Cyber Ninjas. And that, to me, is kind of a red flag right off the bat. Um, but these guys have no experience in, you know, vote counting or elections or anything like that. Um, they're just kind of, and the, you know, the, the head of this group has made, you know, pro-Trump comments before and all that. And this is a pet project of the state Senate and, you know, these guys, this, you know, recount in Maricopa County. But, you know, they're, they're severely limiting access by reporters. They're... Um, you know, some some were saying that uh, you know they were they were using blue and black ink, you know, in the in the counting room, which is not permitted in the you know by in a regular um, vote count because they could be used to change um, 
to change ballots. Um, you know, they're, they're using UV lights for looking for something. You know, no one has any idea really what they're looking for with that. Um, you know, there's basically no training for these people. I mean, it's, it's, it's being partially funded by private groups. It's, it's really a joke, and uh, who knows what's going to happen, you know, what they'll come up with in the end. Uh, I really hope that it doesn't sort of undermine the the count i don't see how it can there's been you know there's already been uh, multiple counts in, in arizona so um, i think that um, the they're trying to sell this the republicans of the state senate as uh, this is a good government measure right we're just making sure that uh, we want to make sure the public has more confidence in the outcome and so we're de- and in fact what what it's happening is is causing less confidence among the public um, that and more concern that now what are we going to have? We're going to have two different groups who are counting ballots after each election, you know, so that there are partisan ballot counts. I mean, it's really, really crazy thing that goes directly at the heart of democracy and the democratic system. And um, this is this is dangerous behavior, uh, even if it is done by a, a group with a silly name called Cyber Ninjas. <laughs> so... <laughs> And also, yeah, oh, thank you. Okay. And also, uh, Maricopa County is the largest county in Arizona, and it's pretty heavily Democratic at the moment. Uh, so wh- why did they choose that one? Why didn't they choose uh, a heavily Republican uh, county? Well, I mean, uh, Maricopa has historically been pretty Republican as as the state, but um, I guess they chose Maricopa because it's just the biggest uh, chunk of votes and where they probably believe that uh, if there's any... Um, any shenanigans going on that's that's where it would be because of the difference between the result there and what's typically uh, been seen um, because you know the other districts in in Arizona are pretty they're smaller much smaller uh, in terms of population or counties rather and um, they're more democratic generally speaking and um, so I guess that's why they they chose it it's to get the better opportunity of sort of flipping the Result, although not officially, and very curiously, one would imagine. Uh, but but that's where the big chunk of votes are, and um, that's why I guess they chose it. And I suppose what um, what the aim of Republicans, uh, especially the elected officials, and what I said before about uh, I'm looking at Republicans as liars, thieves, and cheats, I meant the office holders because there are a lot of terrific people who are both Democrats and Republicans, but you don't see Democrats cheating or attempting to cheat as much as Republicans do these days. Uh, And uh, since I stopped voting for Republicans for president, I have seen the party move very far to the right and away from what the people want and towards what the wealthy want. They are diametrically opposed views. Uh, And I'm really upset. I guess today uh, I I may be coming across as being very pissed off, and I certainly am, because I would rather have a choice to whom I'm going to give my vote rather than one party has so discredited itself that I can't possibly vote for them. 
Well, I mean, I think the um, the Democrats have moved to the left a little bit, um, but I think, uh, as you're suggesting, the Republicans have moved to the right a great deal over the past, you know, 20, 30 years. And so people, and a lot of people, you say, I, you know, I vote for, I voted for Republicans for president, and a lot of people have done that, right? They vote for Democrats or, um, you know, their incumbents on a local level, and they vote for Republicans for the presidency for whatever reason and you know but you're still going to see that i mean um, there there are going to be very strong uh, states that strongly support the president or support um, you know a more aggressive republican party and i think again going back to the fact that there's so few really competitive um, seats in congress that they really benefit from that and redrawing boundaries and they're limiting voting um, you know they're trying to make it harder for people to vote and all those things and so um, if you look at all that behavior um, one has to wonder, you know, what has happened to the Republican Party in terms of how it understands the fairness of elections and how it uh, under uh, and, and how it um, interprets economic uh, appropriate economic policy and who that's supposed to benefit and uh, how that's paid for and all of that. And so they've, I think, they've gone so far to the right for many people that they just, um, you know, they don't. And to me, to some some degree, they don't seem serious about governing and legislating, and more serious about sort of extracting benefits uh, for their particular, um, you know, supporting groups. And mainly that's for uh, people. Mainly that's for the wealthy. And so they're going to keep voting Republican. But you know, as as I was mentioning before, when Republicans start losing those suburban voters, they're going to really have to. You know, start navel gazing a little bit and figure out what they're going to do to win in a in a different America. And voting restrictions is, might help for the immediate future, but it's not going to solve their problem. And um, they're they're not going to they're definitely not going to solve their problem unless they sort of move back toward the center a little bit uh, on the the culture war on the economy. I don't really think that's their aim. I think the Arizona uh, audit. I think the big lie espoused by those 146 House and Senate members, I think the continuation of uh, questioning the validity of voting systems in this country, which in this last one uh, was considered to be the most problem-free election ever with the most people voting ever, I think that the intent is to raise questions and to get the same group of people that attacked the House uh, or the Capitol building on January 6th to be agitated and maybe try a takeover of the country. I mean, this is what I think uh, the worst of the worst are considering. They don't care about long term. They care about short term. Uh, discredit everything. Uh, try to get uh, and retain power. Uh, I think that seems to be the aim of the office holders. And the problem that they're having right now is that not everyone who, who used to consider themselves a Republican feels that way. We have a lot of thoughtful people in both parties that are thinking about things and aren't taking the word of their elected official as the word. So uh, that's the thing that most elected officials hate the most, is people to think about things. And I think... I'm thinking, yes, uh, that it's not going to go well in the long run if we could stave off these attempts to overturn our properly elected officials. 
Well, if you make a good point, Bob. I mean, if you start doing things like this uh, audit and you uh, start challenging every single result in every state, which, by the way, all of them <laughs> were rejected by the courts. But, you know, this, this is the concern of... Um, you know, people like the Secretary of State in Arizona, whose work has, you know, these guys are professionals and all that. They've been trained. They know how to do it. And then you have these sort of partisan groups come in and um, look at everything. And, you know, they just raise questions. And uh, that, I mean, that's a, I think you're, and I have been concerned about this as well, that there is this portion of the Republican Party who believes that they're under existential threat and you know taking over the government is you know what they have been called to do if necessary and i am concerned about that a little bit i'm also concerned frankly bob and we might get in trouble for this a little bit i'm concerned what happens when we rely on you know the security personnel the police and the military and so forth and what proportion of that group would actually um, you know, join in with the others. And I think that's a fairly substantial proportion, and that concerns me a lot, too, Bob. Yeah, it would me. But um, on January, I'm sorry, on April 14th, in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, the center two pages of the first section of each newspaper had uh, a bunch of people and corporations that had signed on and paid money for this ad, and it's, we stand for democracy. And it was over 200 corporations that put, uh, partook in that. And they were against all of these restrictive laws around the country to prevent, usually, people of color, poor people, Asians, from voting. And they are against it because they need everybody to buy their products, the companies do. And if you're going to relegate uh, some of the population to second class and you are participating in that, uh, that takeover, then you're going to lose those people as customers. So they see that. And we're... Well, I mean... You go ahead. See the, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we're, we're nearing the end. I just want you to know. Uh, okay. Well, I mean... Um, you know, there's uh, it's one would uh, it would be hard to imagine that uh, the Republicans would be knocking heads with the major corporate actors in the United States um, because they've traditionally been had such a great relationship and um, you know political relationship with those entities, and so I think that is more uh, evidence that you know things are just the uh, Republicans have kind of gone off the rails a little bit, and um, when they're picking fights with. Um, big, big corporations uh, that have paid no taxes, by the way, thanks to some of which have paid no taxes as a result of Republican economic policy. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a concern there for the Republicans, for sure. Okay. Um, we've got just a few seconds left. I want to point out, number one, that there are three Fifth Fridays left in this calendar year, June, July 30th, October 29th, and December 31st. We can probably discount December 31st, uh, but we can talk about that so that's far into the future. I want to say that the next show uh, in two weeks will be Sora Lashever, who wrote a book, Women Don't Ask. It's about negotiating and how many women don't negotiate for their jobs or for their positions. Uh, and so we have a couple of other good shows coming up, and I want to thank Phil Worf, uh, the, the political science professor from Mendocino College, for participating today, and thank you all for listening. 
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willitson Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.